Miracy. And that's very much overlooked, I think, in a lot of traditional education and, and still even in a lot of more entrepreneurial education, that it's not about just intellectual knowledge or even conveying practical skills and techniques if they're not embedded in the broader context and motivation that the learner has. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey there, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting, either with the architecture of their course or the business model behind it, or both. Our guest today is Amy Whitney. Amy is the creator of Expat Spanish Lessons and host of the weekly podcast Real English Conversations. Amy, welcome to Course Lab. Hi, Danny and Abe. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited. Awesome. So let's start with the backstory. Just who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing it? What was that whole story? And then how did that make its way to the world of online courses? Okay, for sure. So I grew up in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, and I've been living in Puerto Vallarta full time since 2016 as an expat. So in my 20s, I started to want to explore around Latin America, of course, learning the language, practicing it and trying to connect with people. And you would think after 14 years of learning Spanish that I was probably pretty fluent, but actually nothing was working with this journey. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I mean, everything from Rosetta Stone to Duolingo, the five years that I took in high school Spanish, all I really wanted to do was to speak the language and connect with the people. So it was really at the point where my travel changed to wanting to live abroad in a Latin American country that the want to learn Spanish changed to I need to learn Spanish. And that's when I was able to kind of step back, put on my entrepreneurial hat. I'm not sure where it was for the first 14 years, but I found it. <laughs> and I started to look outside of the box and I identified, hey, wait a minute. The things that I've been doing throughout all of these courses were really focused on reading, writing, fill in the blanks, think about this language in a grammatical perspective. But what I needed as an expat, somebody that was going to be living abroad, was more focused on communication. So at that point, when I was able to change my focus, I discovered different ways that I could improve my listening and my speaking skills. And in less than a year, I had reached up to an advanced level. So how I got into this space and why I got into this space was because I realized that other people, other expats just like me, were also struggling to learn the language. And I knew that the combined experience of me living abroad in Mexico over the last six years, along with really taking the long way through the Spanish process, was a way that I was able to refine everything that I had learned and provide something to them that would allow them to get faster traction and really have a stronger connection while they're living abroad. So that's how I got into this space and the long backstory. <laughs> so... Tell us about the journey from the realization that, hey, I think this process I've been through, these lessons I've learned, I think they would be valuable to other people. How did you go from that to actually having a course that people were going through and paying you for and getting results with? Yeah, definitely. So I didn't just want to make a survival Spanish course. I wanted it to be something that was helping people to learn how to master those things that they needed to do 
but also building the foundation of the language so they can continue on if they wanted to. And after I did that, I came up with um, different scenarios that I wanted people to go through. And I realized that the most common aspects of the language actually lived within those interactions that people were going through. So I designed lessons that really had the outcome of people being able to do a certain thing by the end of the lesson while teaching them one of the certain aspects that was important in the foundation at the same time. And the next part was really trying to figure out how to deliver this because language learning is a little bit different than self-educating online course that you can do. It actually does require communication and practice. So I knew that I wanted to include live lessons with my students and I've been teaching English for years, so I'm used to doing one-to-one lessons there. But I kind of wanted to do it in a group environment because as an English teacher, I work with people at a higher level and it's very diverse what they need at those levels. But with beginners, I have the opportunity to take people collectively through and they are able to learn the same things at the same time, at the same pace, and also have that experience of communicating and connecting together. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do group classes and they need to have something that they can practice on their own between their classes. So I developed an online course that accompanies the live lessons. So we're doing one lesson live together and one lesson, we could call it their homework that they're working on throughout the week on their own. And we slowly move through different things, building on what we learned in the previous lesson. How is that approach like similar or different to more traditional language learning classes that you might take at a university or wherever? That's a great question. I'm happy that you asked it. So this is something that I'm quite passionate about because I went through that process of trying these different courses with not a lot of success. I guess with the traditional courses, your main focus is going to be unit one, chapter one, topic one, and we're going to work through this. We're going to first look at the, it's kind of like the 80-20 rule in reverse. So they're going to start working on the 20% of the language that's going to bring you 80% of the results, but we're only going to spend a small amount of time on that. And then the other part is more about the details that you may need to know along the journey, because the objective of those courses is kind of to teach one segment of the course to test you on it, to make sure that you understand it, and then move on to the next section. I kind of think of it like organizing a language like a library. You put it in, it's very logical, you have different sections, but none of the sections overlap and they don't interact together. Where with languages, it's more like a messy art studio, honestly, where, you know, everything is going on. There's a lot of creativity. We have a lot of rules that are being broken and it's really to create um, a message of communication. With my course, it's Really, less is more is my philosophy, and only teaching things on an as-needed basis rather than just because it might be nice to know one day, maybe. (laughs) Logistically speaking, I mean, how does the course work if, like, how many people do you have in a cohort, or is it cohort-based, and how long does it run, and what are some of the economics, what do they pay for, and what does it cost you, and, and all that kind of stuff? Okay, sure. So... 
Because the communication is a large part of what we do, I keep the group cohorts relatively small. I find as a teacher, it can be really overwhelming to interact with more than five people at a time. I can do more, but I think that the quality drops. Now, that class is actually just an hour long. So five people, one hour long. I need no preparation. I can just rock up to the class and I know exactly what I need to teach. When it's done on the hour, I could start another class if I wanted to. Each of my students currently is paying $700 US, and that's for a 16-week program. And I am running about 10 consecutive cohorts at the same time. They have different start dates, so it's kind of a rolling cohort rather than a blast of people that are coming in. Over the last couple of months, I've really got things organized and I feel that I'm in a stage where I can bring on other teachers to deliver the course content that I have. So I think moving forward, I'll be hiring teachers and teachers that I hire are going to have a lot more time than I will. And that's really going to allow me to scale this business and to be able to serve a lot more people. Do you know what you're going to pay teachers to deliver this for you? With a teacher, if I was to pay a $1,000 per month salary, that would give me up to 48 hours per week of that person's time. And that would be considered a very, very good wage in Mexico. Awesome. So tell us about how you're marketing the course, because five people per group, 10 concurrent groups. I imagine you've got a bunch of those cycles going on in a year. That's, you know, hundreds of students in a year. How are they finding you? The folks that I'm teaching, they're usually just before retirement or recently retired and looking for a life change in Mexico. And those people tend to hang out on Facebook. So we have hundreds of groups all over the country of people asking questions about how to navigate the life here. It could be anything from a restaurant to getting help with immigration. And we're able to not only promote our business in those groups, most of them have a policy where you can just share an article or just straight up promote your business or a course once a month, for example. But we also look for opportunities for people that are asking about Spanish and we're able to drop a link in there. The latest one that I did, I just shared a lead magnet last week, actually to probably about 40 groups. And we had a thousand visitors within the first day. We had the second day, 600, 400 people. The email list is blowing up right now. And I just filled a bunch of my cohorts for this month. So things are going okay, but I'd like to have something that's a little bit more stable. And also I say stable because with Facebook groups, you're really reliant on their algorithms and I just want another channel. So I'll probably be working on building up a YouTube channel, possibly a podcast, and obviously networking and constantly talking to people here in Mexico. How do you sort of navigate the line between sharing useful ideas and content in the Facebook group without being seen as self-promotional or having people accuse you of spamming the group, that kind of thing? What we usually do with our posts, like for example, this last one that I shared were 10 words and phrases that you need to be using in your everyday life. And a lot of them are very, very specific to Mexico. And it's something that you wouldn't really learn in a course. But as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, I do hear that all the time. Or, oh, that's how you say that. So I had my husband who also helps me out with portions of the business. 
He went on to his Facebook account, shared this group with something very simple. Hey, I thought this group might like this or find it helpful. Just that simple. Had a great thumbnail, had a great uh, catchy title that people would see. And it was just that simple. So if you're really contributing and coming from the angle of, hey, this is something that people are going to find valuable, they do. So you're not necessarily sharing the lead magnet right away. It's more content first, and then you would move to lead magnets. Exactly. And oftentimes I share whatever the lead magnet thing is, that would be the thing that I share. And then you have a secondary lead magnet on there to get them to subscribe to your list or to book a trial or whatever the next step is. Yes. Amy, I know that the business you're building with Expat Spanish that is going and growing so well, this is a second business after your first business, Real English Conversations. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the arc of growing Real English Conversations and then the decision to step away and pivot towards something new? What informed that thinking? And logistically, practically, how did you handle it? I mean, having something that was a going concern while you're trying to build something new. That was a very challenging journey. At the time, it was a difficult decision to switch. So back in 2015, when I moved or decided that I would be moving to Mexico was the time that I started out realenglishconversations.com. And the main product or, or thing that we were offering at the time were our podcasts, the conversations with the transcriptions that we were selling. And that business kind of grew out of the feedback that we were getting from our listeners. People were wanting to have courses to help them to speak, to improve their listening and do different things like that. So we went down the path of having or trying to have a membership site, trying to sell online courses. And it was okay, but it was always just kind of a little bit of extra cash on the side. And my husband and I were having to continue teaching and providing one-to-one lessons. A couple of years ago, I decided to really test a new idea, which was combining some of the online courses that I had created, which were really self-directed, and combine them with the support of a live teacher. But it was really complicated, and we didn't have the profit margins to really go back and fix a lot of those issues. So I ended up kind of simplifying the business, and when things slowed down, I was able to really look at the numbers and Despite the massive traffic that we had through SEO and our podcast, like we have still 600 visitors per day coming to our website and 10,000 downloads per day on our podcast. And you'd think that that would immediately equal uh, a great business. But whoever we were attracting, clearly what we were offering wasn't a good match. And I didn't have the resources to really figure it out. So it was last year that. I decided, you know what, I'm going to, you know, open up this expat Spanish can and just kind of see what happens. I'm not sure. I'll give it a little bit of effort and see what happens. And I was shocked at how easy it was. So I would say for the past um, six months or so, I've been trying to shut down or automate and simplify as much as I can with Real English Conversations to provide the room that I needed for the transition and the growth with expat Spanish. And now I'm finally at a point where I am able to hire some key team players to help me out. I found an excellent assistant and I'm looking for somebody who's more of a executive assistant that can really help to take some of the things off my plate so I can 
teach and hire and find other teachers and get them up to speed and um, hopefully go onward and upward. Awesome. That's fantastic. Abe, do you have any questions about that process? No, I think it, it works just as it was sold. Cool. Well, this was really great. Amy, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing all this. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to hearing the final episode. <laughs> yep. And I should say, my voice is a little scratchy and I'm coughing, so it might take a couple, a couple of tries. Amy Whitney is the creator of Expat Spanish Lessons and the host of the Real English Conversations podcast. You can find out more about her over at expatspanishlessons.com. That's expatspanishlessons.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the best takeaways for you to apply to your course. Abe, what jumped out to you? I guess the first thing is just, it's pretty interesting to see a course succeeding in this niche of language learning, because this is not, you know, some new area that just emerged with the internet. Language learning is a very old field, and it's something that there have been solutions for a long time, including university classes, you know, traditional in-person workshops. And then with the growth of online learning, there are entire companies built around just providing apps for language learning, like Duolingo and many others. So it's a very like well-served market already. And so it's pretty cool to see that it doesn't mean that the opportunities are exhausted, right? Amy was able to come in with a fresh approach, a different way of connecting with students and helping them learn more quickly, as well as new ways of reaching students and, you know, create something really valuable. It's just cool to see that even though courses have matured, online learning has matured, doesn't mean that everything has just been taken over. There's always room for innovation if you approach things from a new angle. Yeah, and her approach really is interesting. I mean, while she does language learning, the language learning almost kind of happens in the background while she's teaching key skills for surviving and thriving, essentially, as an expat in the environment. So I thought that was really interesting. And then from a design standpoint, whereas a lot of languages are about, like, learn the systems, learn the structure, learn the grammar, learn the vocabulary, she really starts with the end in mind in terms of, well, the goal is to be able to communicate and function, and then peeling off everything that is not necessary towards that goal. I think there are really valuable lessons there in terms of in terms of how to think about designing a course, especially in a space where, I mean, you could spend years and years teaching a language, and there are a lot of areas where there's just so much that you could teach. So how do you decide what to leave in and what to take out? Well, this is the real lens that you need to look at through, right? Like, what is absolutely necessary to achieve the desired outcome, and everything else can be left by the wayside. Yeah, very much agree, and I think it speaks to two principles to consider in learning design that often get overlooked. One is just the sheer value of progress and momentum, which she seems to really capitalize, you know, on in her course. You know, I remember taking Spanish classes in high school and in college, and it just felt like you weren't getting anywhere, right? Like you would go to the class and read the textbook, you know, do the homework, take the quizzes. And your Spanish would only get like marginally better, right? You know, 
even if you were getting a good grade, it didn't feel like you were getting that much closer, at least for me, to like being able to go to a Spanish town and actually communicate with someone in a market or, or something useful. And so you didn't get a sense of momentum that is really motivating, whereas it sounds like in Amy's course, you very much do. And then the second principle is just really understanding the broader context of learning that you alluded to, right? I think it's pretty interesting that she approached her course with this deep contextual understanding of the expat lifestyle and what is driving people to want to move to these towns and cities in Mexico without speaking Spanish in the first place and what their goals are. And that's very much overlooked, I think, in a lot of traditional education and and still even in a lot of more entrepreneurial education that it's not about just intellectual knowledge or even conveying practical skills and techniques if they're not embedded in the broader context and motivation that the learner has. So I think that's a pretty big opportunity for people listening who want to improve their own course design is to really go deeper into the context and motivation of what is bringing people to your course in the first place. Yeah. The other area that I wanted to call out was around the business model dynamics. So she ran through a bunch of numbers pretty quickly, but she's got five people in a cohort and she's running 10 cohorts concurrently. She's charging $700 per person. The cohort runs for 16 weeks. So, you know, if you extrapolate that math, that's $3,500 for a group, $35,000 from all the groups in parallel. And her effective hourly rate is over $200 an hour, which is really good for teaching languages. But where it gets even more interesting is that that's a large enough number that she could afford to hire a teacher and I mean, even if she were paying competitive North American rates, there would still be a significant margin. So she could double, triple, 5x, 10x, 50x if she wanted the scale of the business and her margins would be good. But then having this amazing unfair advantage of being located in Mexico where the cost of living is so low, if she can hire a teacher for $1,000 a month, as she said, then her marginal cost to have that training delivered even if they're nowhere near as efficient, of course, as she is, is fantastic. And that's where the real exciting scalability of the business kicks in. So I thought that was just a really interesting case study. And it's worth pointing out that while, of course, the numbers are extremely attractive because of the cost of labor in Mexico, the math works even if that's not an assumption. Like this is a structure that could work in a lot of contexts. Sounds like you're going to be getting into language learning soon, Danny. Well, I mean, I have enough opportunities to pursue at the moment, but, you know, never say never. (laughs) I mean, other than that, what was interesting was both the breakdown of how she's doing her marketing in the Facebook groups and the narrative of the journey and transition from one business to the next. Really valuable insights there. Yeah, I think I thought the way she was sharing content in the Facebook groups and doing that in a way that was engaging and not perceived as overly promotional sounds really effective. That's it. That's that's all I've got. I mean, that was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Rizuku. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes shows like Just Between Coaches, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govardson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney, that's me, is our executive producer. And post-production is by Post Office Sound. Another thanks to Amy Whitney for coming onto the show today. You can find out more about her and her language learning courses over at expathspanishlessons.com. 
That's expatspanishlessons.com. To make sure you don't miss the excellent episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, we would love it if you could leave a starred review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, Thanks very all. much, everyone. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a, that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, ooh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice.
Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.